I'm excited today as we begin a new Christmas series and looking at the theme, Simply Christmas. My hope is this, that as we walk through this journey, that we won't miss the message in the mess. <laughs> we won't miss the Christ in the Christmas and that we won't be like some from the first Christmas who actually missed Jesus in Christmas. And as we process today and walk through what God's word has to say about this, it's so easy for us to allow our minds to be consumed with everything else that's swirling around in our world, in our families, in politics, in our health, and canceled schedules, and families that aren't able to get together, that we lose the message of Christmas. And so as we begin this series, my hope is this, is that we remember why we have Christmas and we celebrate it. It's important that we do. Otherwise, why have Christmas if Christ isn't in Christmas? And I would say more than ever, I'll be 59 in January, more than ever in my lifetime, we need Jesus at Christmas to be celebrated more than ever because Jesus is the hope of the world. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go on a journey today. I'm going to show you why we need to remember and to celebrate. And turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 of Luke chapter 2. Would you stand with me here in the auditoriums and those online that are watching, would you stand in your rooms and as we read God's word out loud together, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Would you read it with me, please? Ready, read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You may have a seat. May we not be like the first people of Christmas that squeeze Jesus out. So I would say this, let's don't squeeze Jesus out this Christmas. But before we talk about us squeezing out, let's go back and look at why Jesus came in the first place. Some of us have been saved for so long, forget what we've been saved from. Some of us have had hundreds of Christmas messages as soon you go on autopilot and you tune out. But let's go back and pretend like this is the first time that we've heard this story. Let's go back 2,000 years to the birth of Jesus. Maybe we choose to miss Jesus because we have forgotten how humble he was in his beginning. John tells us that in John chapter one, all things were made by him and through him. And we know from Colossians that he holds all things together. And so there was nothing that was made that wasn't made by Jesus. And what's that mean? Every animal, rock, tree, star, cloud, planet needs a tag on it that reads made by Jesus. And if we were to walk out through creation 
And those that were alive during Jesus' time, if they took a, 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 a walk out through their communities and their towns, everything that they saw, there should have been a tag on it said, made by Jesus. And the God who made everything is now making himself nothing for us. Coming to earth. The one who made everything made himself nothing. Think about just one piece of his creation. I'm always amazed by this because of the scale of this. Jesus, who left heaven and created everything and came to earth, created the sun. The sun itself, you could put more than a million earths inside of the sun. <laughs> like, that should just go, Boo! like, that's, that's, that's big. That's, the God who created all that held it into place, now made everything, made by Jesus, is now coming and making himself nothing for us. Philippians and Paul tries to describe what we would say the incarnation of Jesus where God became man. He reminds us in Philippians chapter two that he made himself small. He made himself so small and that he humbled himself in such a way that he did not consider equality with God something to be grass. Let's pull away and just practically, what does that mean? He made himself so small that he depended on lungs, a larynx, and legs. The creator of the world, who created legs, lungs, and larynx, now he depends on those for his existence, to breathe, to walk, to talk. Jesus reduced himself where he had to use what he created so that he could become the God-man on earth. The God who made everything had to learn to suck his thumb, tie his shoes, and write his name. Process that for a second. The name that's above all names, Jesus, where every knee will bow and tongue will confess Jesus, now is reduced, is in grade school, and they're teaching him how to write Jesus. He reduced himself where his name was already above every name, and now he asked the teacher, how do you spell Jesus? And she came alongside and wrote Jesus. That's what he reduced himself to for us. The word became flesh, John said in 114, and dwelt among us. One version said, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He became like us so he could serve us and he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And I wanna say, you give me 10 seconds of being God, I'm not going back. But he didn't consider something to long for or grasp and hold on to it. He didn't say, no, I'm not gone, I'm not leaving. This is just too good. He released that to become man so that we could have a sacrifice that would die on the cross for us. He played JV because he loved us and he should have been the captain on the varsity team. He entered the world not as a king but a baby born in a horse trough. He entered the world not to demand our allegiance but to show his affection for us. The only reason Jesus came is because he loved us, not to demand his allegiance to him. No other king would leave his throne and die for people who would spit in his face, mock his name, reject him, and kill him. Only Jesus would. Philippians 2 said he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And death said to Jesus, you will die on the cross, and he obeyed death. The God who created everything put it into existence.
He would leave the golden chair of a king to hang on a cross made from wood. He would enter a womb so he could be laid in a tomb. That's how much he loves us, Grace. Like some of us are distracted with our phones right now. And the truth is this. Jesus left heaven for us. He was stripped of every right. Can you imagine him in grade school when he had to write book reports about the human body? And so they would study the human body and as they studied the body, he collected all muscles and bones and the skeleton. He could name everyone and, and so he got to the end and his conclusion, his report, he had to hand into the teacher and, and he told all about the body and then at the end of it, he says, by the way, I made the body. That's Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine as he took a field trip to the planetarium. When I was a kid, we would go to the planetarium and I used to love it because we got out of school. Well, that was nice too. But we would go to the planetariums and we would sit in these planetariums and there would be the stars and the instructor would point out, look at the Milky Way and there's, there, there, there's, there's, there's Venus and Jupiter. And I would just be in awe of like, wow, I never saw any of that before. And the room was dark. Can you imagine Jesus? He's going to the planetarium as a, as a third grader and he's sitting there watching it and they're telling him all. And he looks at his classmates and says, hey dude, I made those. The same God that did that chose not to consider equality with God something to be grasped. Can you imagine as he was in geography class and the teacher said, you need to memorize the continents and the, and the countries. And, and so Jesus had to memorize all these. And so the teacher calls him up to the front of the class and says, hey, hey, Jesus, come here. Let's see if you remember what we study. And she points and, and she asks, what's that? And he said, that's Africa. He points again, that, that's Egypt. And where's that? That's the Middle East. And by the way, teach, I made all this. <laughs> the God who was holding the world together, who created everything, and every knee shall bow and tongue confess his name, left heaven to reduce some size to the size of an embryo which starts out the size of a grain of salt for us. That's how much he showed his affection for us. There was nothing human about Jesus before he came to earth either. See, we lose sight of that. When Jesus was with the three in one, before the world and creation existed, he has always been, before earth existed, and then it says he died before the foundation of the world, before it was all existed, there was nothing human about Jesus. Nothing. There wasn't a human body. They couldn't say, wow, you look like a man. No, there was nothing manly about God until he came to earth. And when he came to earth, he took on the shell, the body, and he became fully man, fully God. And yet what we forget is this. When he was ascended into heaven, he was man in a shell, God. You see, when he ascended from earth, he still kept his shell frame, the physical body shape of a man. He didn't strip himself of man's form. He left earth, 
like he spent time here and he had marks in his hands to show fully glorified, no flesh and blood, fully God, but he was in the form. He went back to heaven in the shape of a man. Who would do that? How do you know that, Pastor Jim? Well, look at Acts chapter one with me for a second and let me just show you. Let's just, just walk this journey. This is what... Jesus did for us. Fully God, fully glorified. That's why John, 1 John 3, 2 says, we will be as he is. 1 John 3, or Acts chapter 1, look at Acts chapter 1. This is his ascension. These were his last moments on earth, and here's what it says. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same what, what's your Bible say? Jesus, who had been taken from you into heaven, the same Jesus will come back to you in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And the same way he left was the shell of a man. Fully God. No flesh and bone. Look at Philippians chapter two. Paul would say this in regards to, we would say the incarnation passage. Philippians chapter two. Look at verses five. Please turn there in your Bible. Philippians 2, verses five says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant, man, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a what? Man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Hold your fingers in, in Luke, but turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And, and, and Paul, who has the, the and Timothy, who wants to become a pastor, he writes this letter to him. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, it says this. Paul saying this to Timothy, he said, for there is one what, what's your Bible say? God. And one what? Mediator between God and what? The what? Christ Jesus. The man. Post-resurrection. Post-ascension. Who's the mediator? The man, Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means he left heaven in the form of a man. And when he came to us, there wasn't a form of man. And when we see him, we will be reminded that he was willing to become man for us. That's love. What king on planet earth would ever leave anywhere to die for people, let alone leave the three in one as we understand and take the form of man and go back in a glorified manly shell? Jesus. We should say, in Jesus' name, amen, go home and celebrate that. Why am I so passionate about not missing Jesus this Christmas season? 
because I long for all mankind to know Jesus the way I do and you do. The gospel is not meant to stop with us. And every man will confess his name, even Herod will in the Christmas story. Isaiah 45, 24 reminds us that he says, Isaiah, that all that have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. C.S. Lewis would later write in regards to the coming of Jesus and the importance of us being able to recognize him as king, said, God will invade. When that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play's over. For this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. It will be the time when we discover which side we have really chosen. Let me go back to where I began this message. May we not miss Jesus this Christmas. May we not miss the message of the gospel in the mess. May we not be like millions today who take Christ out of Christmas and may we not repeat what happened at the first Christmas where people were right there and they missed Jesus at Christmas. How do you know, Pastor Jim? Well, look at Luke chapter two, verses six to seven. The innkeeper missed Jesus at the first Christmas. Luke chapter two, in verses six to seven. The innkeeper missed Jesus. Look what it says in Luke two, in verse six. While they were there, the time had come for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no what available for them. No guest room. Business was good for the innkeeper. Let's face it. The economy must have been booming. There were no guest rooms available. There was a sign out front that flashed, no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy. The hotel is full. And when Mary came knocking, the innkeeper said, I have no room for you. He was too busy doing everything he needed to keep his business afloat. He neglected to notice a pregnant lady about to give birth to a baby, to a son that would grow up and become the most famous man on planet Earth. And more than a man, the son of God, the king of kings. But are we really any different with our indifference to Jesus than people were 2,000 years ago? A packed hotel full of people at the end left no room for Jesus. He missed Jesus. What stuff on your schedule and in your heart is squeezing Jesus out. Are you so busy with the chaos of COVID and so occupied with something else that the centerpiece of Christmas will lose its triumph in your heart and in your home? How can you have a birthday party 
when the birthday boy isn't even there. And yet so many homes will have birthday parties and Jesus won't even be there. If this innkeeper had to do it all over and he had known that it was King Jesus, I suspect he would have moved and knocked on the guest's master suite and said, I'm sorry, this room is taken. You're going to have to sleep on a cot in the foyer. If he had only known that it was King Jesus, but he was so preoccupied with his business that his heart had no room to notice. Jesus, the hope of glory has come to your hotel to your heart. The innkeeper was preoccupied with his business plan. The innkeeper was preoccupied with his 401. He was more occupied with that that he was bankrupt without Jesus. Christmas was literally out his back door in a horse trough and he didn't even know it. What's squeezing Jesus out of your plans and schedules? The second group that missed Jesus, the person is Herod. Look at Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two, and he was close as the innkeeper was. Matthew chapter 2, look at Matthew chapter 2, look at verses 1 to 3 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the what? What's your Bible say? Jews. The Magi say, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was what? Disturbed. Some translations have troubled. And what often gets lost is the next little phrase and said, and all of who with him? Jerusalem. And why? Why would Jerusalem be disturbed and troubled? You see, Herod was not ignorant about Old Testament prophecy, but the truth is he was very informed about Jesus because the Magi said, we, 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 we're here to find the king of the Jews. The Magi asked him, where was the king that would be the king born for the Jews? Because we have seen the star and we want to come worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So what does Herod do? Look at verse six of chapter two. It says this, or verse seven, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from, from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and do a search and rescue carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. He's not going to go worship him. Verse 16, when Herod realized that they had not let him know, he had been an outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. 
and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He had no room for Jesus because Jesus was king. He had no time to celebrate Christmas because he had made no provision in his own heart for another king. Herod was not willing to give up his chair in the throne room for another king. So why was all of Jerusalem troubled? Well, let me just say this. When Jesus is rejected, there will be chaos in our world. (laughs) Do you hear me? When Jesus is rejected, there will be chaos in our world. There is chaos in our world. It's why we need to put Christ back in Christmas. Herod had no room for Jesus either. Why? Herod didn't want competition with kingship. But the truth is this. If Jesus isn't king in your life, then you aren't celebrating Christmas. You are celebrating you. If Jesus isn't king in your life, you aren't celebrating Christmas, you're celebrating you. So just call it what it is. It's a birthday party for you and your family this Christmas. If Jesus isn't the central birthday present that has been given and celebrated in your home. Just call it what it is. We're gonna have a party that's celebrating us. We're gonna celebrate family. We're gonna celebrate children and grandparents. Listen, listen, that's a party for you. If, if there's a birthday party, then the birthday boy needs invited. Just call it what it is for many Christmases. It's just a party for you. When Jesus sits high and exalted on high in the throne room of your life and my life, and when he has the final say about your schedule and your future, then, then you can celebrate Christmas. If Jesus is not your savior, hear me out, Christmas is not your holiday. It's just a couple days that you're glad you got off work with pay. Way too many people want to claim the holiday but not the Christ and will miss out on Jesus just like Herod did. The world is full of Herods that want their own little kingdoms remiss of Jesus. We'll just give them a little peace, but we want to rule our lives. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to sacrifice and surrender. That's too hard. We won't walk across the street and tell someone about Jesus. It takes too much time. We won't worship. We won't get together. We won't spend time because it's inconvenient. It's hard. It's easy to stay home. Yet, Jesus left heaven, took the form of a man and died on a cross for us. That should be Merry Christmas. But let me tell you, he thought he was king, old Herod. But let me show you what happened to old Herod. 
Turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and verses 18 to 24. Acts 12 verses 18 to 24. We'll begin with verse 19. It says, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with people in Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food and supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal kingly robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. It says, they shouted, this is the voice of a what? Not of a what? Hear him. That is the voice of a God. We worship you. That's not the voice of a man. That's the king. And then... Our Bible says immediately, immediately, immediately. In the Greek, it means immediately. Because Herod did not give what to God? An angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. That's what Jesus does. So just picture, it says an angel of the Lord came up and went. And the next thing we know, he's got worms, maggots coming out of him, eating him up. Why? Because there's only one king, and it's Jesus. But boy, did he like that praise, self-praise. Who am I? You're not a man. You're God. I wonder if we are more like Herod than we realize. My schedule, my plans, my comfort, my convenience, it's just easier to do that. It's so hard to get up and go and walk across and, and reach people and tell people about it. It's so inconvenient. It's, boy, it's been great these nine months. I just do what's convenient for me. Where in the world does convenience ever fit into the line of a Christian? That is sin. There's a third group that kind of hits home. Look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 4. Matthew 2 and verse 4. May we never be these people. So after Herod heard this from the Magi, it says in verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief what? Priest, clergy, pastors, and teachers of the law, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, people who are mentoring people with Jesus. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they say, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. So what they do, they're quoting Micah 5 too. Chief priests, clergy, teachers, small group leaders, mentors, disciples. They're quoting Matthew 5 too, which was 700 years before this moment. These are the clergy. These are the trained. These are the ones with the Bible college and studied. And they say this. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Please, Grace, hear me. The chief priests knew the scripture, but they never made the trip to Jesus. They weren't willing to walk one to two miles to see if Jesus was there. It was too hard to walk to the Concord Mall. It's cold outside. Yet the Messiah was there. They never bothered to walk two to three miles to check it out for themselves. Why? Did the chief priests miss Jesus at Christmas? Indifference. They didn't care. They've heard this story. Well, Pastor Jim, I've heard this story. I've been Christian for 30 years. That's another Christmas story. Yeah, he was born in a manger. Yeah, yeah, Mary. Yeah, I know the little, I know, yeah, I know the angels. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And we become so indifferent to it that it doesn't even move us to tell the world about Jesus. You see, if you know the Bible and reject the Savior, you miss Christmas. <laughs> But are we any really any different than the clergy and the teachers and the small group leaders? We have a full account, 2,000 years of history, yet many have lost the true meaning of Christmas. Think about it. We have the written word that we can read. Like, there it is. And we can be reminded that this group forgot. And we have the, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, polarity-filled word of God. From, from Genesis to Revelation, we have the written word to let us know that Christ came. Yet, if the written word doesn't lead you to the living word, then it just becomes another word. And oh boy, is our world filled. You see, if the written word doesn't lead you to the living word, then it's just another word. Just give me the newspaper. This is the word of God that says Jesus did not consider equality God something to be grasped and he, he reduced himself to nothing because he loves us. That's worth celebrating grace, isn't it? Most people want to claim the holiday but not the Christ. Either treat it like it's a party or call it something else. If the guest of honor isn't there for his birthday, then it's Christmas for you and not for him. I celebrate Jesus because he's the Messiah. I celebrate Jesus because we're plan A. We're the only plan that God has to tell the world about Jesus. There's no plan B. We are the ones. We need to tell them. We need to point them to Jesus. We need to tell them what he's done for us so that the world can be one and the lost can be saved. That's my only mission and your only mission for being here today. I believe he's the Messiah because I believe the written word. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, there are over 300 accounts of prophecy that say, a Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, and then it's fulfilled in the New Testament. He came, he came, he came. Here's proof, proof, proof. 39 books say he's coming, he's coming. 27 books say, guess what? He's here, he's here, he's here. 39 said, 27 said, they're here 300 times. Let me just show you seven. Let me just give me just, just, just a little snapshot. Seven over 300. 
first one is found in Genesis 3.15. It says that the Messiah will be born of a woman. He will crush your head and strike your heel. Matthew 1.18 says Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Huh. Well, there it is, born of a woman. Well, that's not narrow enough. There, last time I checked, every human being's been born of a woman. So we can't stop there, but that's one check. The second instance a prophecy. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 says that the Messiah will be a descendant of Abraham. Matthew 1, 1 in the genealogy of Jesus, it says the son of David, the son of Abraham. Check, check. The third instance of prophecy being fulfilled is found in Genesis 49, 10. It says the Messiah will come from Judah. Luke, the doctor, inspired by the Holy Spirit, carried from the Holy Spirit to write, says in Luke 1.33, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. Check. Even John said in Revelation, as he had this vision on the island of Patmos in Revelation 5.5, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Check, check, check. The fourth occurrence of prophecy being fulfilled. 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16 says, the Messiah will be a descendant of David. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew would write, Jesus Christ from David. Check, 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 check. The fifth instance, Isaiah 43, 40, verse 3 announced that he would be announced from a cry in the wilderness. Go to Mark 1 or in the Gospels, verses 48. It says that, that, that John the Baptist was a voice crying from the wilderness. Man, he was a scary looking kook too, I'll guarantee you that. But he cried, I'm the forerunner and Jesus is coming. And he cried from the wilderness, check, 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 check. The sixth instance, Isaiah 7, 14, said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. <laughs> Matthew 1, said all this took place fulfilled what the Lord had spoken by the prophet that Mary would conceive and be born. Jesus would be born a virgin. Check! The last instance, and there's 300 of them. Micah 5, 2 says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We just read it. Matthew 2, 1 to 6 says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So what does that mean to us today? It means born of a woman, lots of people fit into that category. Descended from Abraham, that narrows it down. From the tribe of Judah, narrower. For a descendant of David, narrower yet. Announced by John the Baptist, that's very narrow. Born of a virgin, category of one. Born in Bethlehem, that's extremely specific. And when you consider all the evidence, you have to admit only one person fits all these details and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's who we get to celebrate at Christmas. Don't we dare miss Jesus at Christmas because we want to be king of our kingdoms because it might inconvenience us to have to walk two or three blocks across the street and tell someone about Jesus. I like my convenience. It's so much easier. And I've been convenient for nine months, nine years, 90 years. The chief priests weren't willing to walk two to three miles, yet the Magi, hear me out, walked for one to two years and they crossed continents to get to Jesus. Continents. They walked for one to two years and he was probably two years old when they saw him and the clergy and the small group leaders and the teachers and the pastors weren't willing to walk to the Concord Mall. 
the innkeeper. Well, things are good. If my business, my money, I'm making money. I got to stay on top and work, work. I got to stay busy. I got to build and invest and make and invest. I got to take care of all these earthly kingdoms. I don't have time for Jesus. The guest rooms are full. My heart is full of other stuff. May we always have room for Jesus and not let other things squeeze him out. How can it be a birthday party if the birthday boy isn't even there? Oh God, help us. Holy Spirit, convict where we need conviction. Affirm where we need affirmation. Teach us where we need guidance. Illuminate once again the power, the beauty of the gospel where Jesus would leave heaven and take on the form and nature of a man and die and then would be ascended fully man, not flesh and blood, in the form and the skin and the shape of a man forever as God. May we not miss Jesus this Christmas, but may we celebrate and put Christ back in Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.